0: Well, welcome to this session with Grace Point Church. I want to also welcome our church family, obviously, and I'd like to welcome any guests who have found us online. Uh, We were going through a series through the book of Philippians. We stepped out of that last session for Thanksgiving, and now immediately we're into Advent, or anticipating remembering the first Advent of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we move towards the Christmas holiday. I have a friend whose family uh, is in the habit, I guess, or tradition of beginning to anticipate Christmas or Advent on October 15th. Uh, They begin to play Christmas music. They give early gifts. And as they move towards December 25th, uh, they're really engaged in celebrating the Advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first Advent. I admire their focus and... (laughs) I'm not sure I could listen to the Christmas carols for two solid months. I'm just not sure about that. Uh, So let me ask you a question this morning. Uh, We all are very familiar with the uh, Christmas carols of our day and uh, we listen to them and uh, they bring good remembrances, good traditional carols. And yeah, let me ask you a question. Where do we find the first Christmas music? Is it colonial America, perhaps? No. Is it in merry old England or in Europe somewhere? No, we don't find the first ones there. No, the first Christmas carols go back far beyond uh, the Western uh, civilization. Uh, They go back, the very first Christmas carols or Christmas songs go back over 2,000 years actually to the very first Christmas, the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right, the tradition of singing uh, at Christmas time is as old as the advent of Jesus Christ himself. The first Christmas carols were written <clears throat> in the Bible as part of the Christmas account, the historical Christmas account. And uh, if you take your copy of Scripture and turn to the Gospel of Luke, We are going to look at four of these songs uh, over the next four weeks as we anticipate and as the calendar moves us towards December 25th and Christmas Day. Luke recorded for us, remember Luke was a physician, a doctor, as well as a good historian. And uh, he wrote four of the original songs of Christmas. They're found in Luke chapters one and two of the account of the nativity. So you take your copy of scripture there. And I think it's going to teach us over the next several weeks some things about God's character, about the Lord Jesus Christ, about the work of God throughout history. So let me ask you a question. Uh, Do you believe and do you know that God is all-powerful? He is omnipotent, is how theologians put it. Is he sovereign? Is he providential? Is he working his eternal plan out for his glory and for the good of all of his people? And you know, in this day and age, in an unusual time for us in 2020, and as we approach Christmas of 2020, uh, it's very difficult, perhaps, we can say we believe those things about God, about Jesus Christ, but living out those truths day to day is difficult, isn't it? because we tend to look uh, at our own situation, our own circumstances, and the things that are going on in the world around us, whether it be on the COVID front, or politically, or socially in our nation, in our culture, in the whole world, in fact. And so the test is, is do we still believe God is all-powerful, all-powerful when our whole lives seem out of control, don't they? And when difficulties arise and where these holidays, whether it was this past Thanksgiving holiday or uh, the upcoming Christmas holiday and New Year's, and it will be different. Perhaps uh, you will not be meeting with anybody except your own household. Uh, perhaps you'll have a few people that, uh, relatives or friends that you will have connections with. And, uh, but to remember this is that we can still sing great songs about Christmas, about the first advent, because that hasn't changed. Well, if you're familiar with uh, the Gospel of Luke, Luke is recording for us in these first two chapters four songs and we'll look at one each week and uh, as familiar as we are with our current Christmas carols, uh, these are songs that are recorded for us and uh, sung by people around the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're not sung much now. We are somewhat familiar with them because they are part of the nativity story that we seem to rehearse every uh, Christmas holiday. But one is called Mary's Song. And uh, in the ancient church, uh, when the Bible was translated into Latin, uh, they had a Latin name for each one of these songs. And Mary's Song, perhaps you've heard it called the Magnificat and found in Luke chapter 1, verses 48 through 55 then there's Zechariah's song called the Benedictus which is found in Luke 1:67 through 80 the angel's song called the Gloria in Excelsis Deo is found in Luke 2:14 and then there's Simeon's song which is found in Luke 2:29 through 32 you know we read these and uh, we've seen so many Christmas pageants and uh, perhaps uh, television productions or movies that we almost think of them as some kind of a Broadway musical Uh, But these people didn't necessarily have a whole crowd of singers around them bursting in the chorus. The ancient church uh, captured the words and created the songs known as the canticles, actually, in the ancient church. Uh, This passage in Luke records the birth and maturation of two babies uh, in Luke 1 and 2. The first one is John, of course. Uh, We know him better as John the baptizer or John the immerser. And then the second one, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the birth of these two babies. Remember, John was the forerunner of the Messiah. He was the really technically the last Old Testament prophet that we see here as he uh, heralded the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you take your copy of Scripture, turn to Luke chapter one, Luke chapter one. And uh, we will do a, basically a survey. There's a lot of verses here in Zechariah's song. We're going to be looking at Zechariah's song. Uh, and there's a lot of verses, so it'll be more of a survey. We, we, we will just get an overview of uh, this prophecy that is given to us and Luke recorded for us. And so if you take your copy of Scripture and let me uh, begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day of life. Thank you thank you for this christmas season for the remembrance of the first advent of the lord jesus christ and for believers the world over we anticipate his second advent and lord thank you for these uh, ones who have uh, been led by your holy spirit to pronounce these uh, blessings these prophecies that are recorded by luke and may you open our eyes to the truths you want us to learn in this in jesus powerful name i pray amen and amen In Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80 is where we find the record of Zacharias' prophecy. And it's really a survey, but the passage can be divided into three different parts. And verses 57 through 66 gives us the account of the birth and the naming of this baby named John. Uh, Verses 67 through 79 is the prophetic psalm, basically, of praise by John's father, Zacharias, And then third, in verse 80, there's a very brief narrative of John's growth and place of residence. There are at least three principles we see uh, which come out of this historical narrative. And first of all, uh, God's purposes cannot be frustrated in verses 57 through 66. Uh, One thing we have to remember is God always fulfills his promises. God always fulfills his promises. Remember there has been a silence for Israel at this point. There has been a 400 year silence. If you take your copy of God's word and page back to the beginning of Matthew between the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you turn back there, there's probably a cover page for the New Testament. In my scripture anyway, there is one that is blank on one side. And it determines the, the distance between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, in Malachi, the last Old Testament prophet, the Old Testament book here in Malachi 3.1, there's the promise from God. He says, behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come in his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Here is a prophecy written down by Malachi foretelling that there would be this forerunner coming to go before the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and introduce him. And then chapter four of Malachi, look there. And it says, for behold, verse one, for behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff in the day that is coming and will set ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, He goes on to talk about this. But then in verses five and six, he says, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that they will not come and smite the land. So I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And those last words, that last prophecy is gonna send Elijah the prophet And that was the uh, preemptive prophet in the Old Testament. And then there's this blank page before the New Testament begins. And that page right there represents 400 years of silence. Israel did not hear from God during that time. And so we see here in the Gospel of Luke, we see this first uh, account of someone hearing from God after 400 years of silence. Imagine in our time, that 400 years would go back to 1620, about the time of the pilgrims, the Puritans, and the original Thanksgiving And so we see this, and uh, in uh, chapter one of Luke, very briefly, we'll look at this. In the days of Herod, excuse me, verse five, chapter one, verse five, in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth and then he goes on to describe them. Verse 6, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, Verse seven, but, listen to this, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both advanced in years. And so we, the stage is set with this elderly priest and his wife, Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were barren, they had no children. And in verse 8, he goes on to set the stage further. And this is where God appears to Israel again. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the anointed, appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. And an angel of the Lord, verse 11, here we go. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. And so Zacharias is the first one to hear from God in over 400 years. And they were anticipating the fulfillment of the prophecy made 400, 700 years before this time of this Messiah who was promised by God. But God's purposes cannot be frustrated. Of course, the angel is Gabriel. He goes on to tell him that he and his wife are going to have a child Uh, Zechariah questions this because of his physical limitations and Elizabeth's physical limitations. They were beyond childbearing age. And uh, he questioned that. And the angel uh, told him this was God's will and this son would be called John. And Zechariah, it was unbelievable, really. Uh, But God's purposes will not be frustrated. And Zechariah was struck speechless at this moment. Uh, because Gabriel said, you have not believed what I have said to you. And so Zechariah Zechariah, uh, was speechless for nine months, because shortly after he returned from his priestly duty, uh, Elizabeth became pregnant. And they were anticipating a son, and Zechariah was speechless. And in fact, it tells us there that Elizabeth was uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus' cousin, later on in this account. But uh, in verse 57, we've come to this time where this promised son, this one that's going to be named John, had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. And traditionally, a son was named after someone in his family, his father. uh, There was always a a name that went with the family. And uh, the the people who were with Elizabeth and Zechariah were just confused and perplexed when they thought he would be named, this baby would be named Zachariah. And they said, no, his name will be John. In fact, Zachariah, he was speechless yet, and he had to write it out on a tablet so they would see that he was in agreement with what Elizabeth had said. So God always fulfills his purposes, fulfills his promises. They will not be frustrated. Malachi was the last word, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 of the Old Testament. And he's beginning to have fulfilled that 400 years later. And so God always fulfills his promises. In verse 59 through 63, our obedience sometimes results in opposition. And this is where Elizabeth and Zechariah were being obedient to God. They're going to name their son John and the people were perplexed. Uh, probably near family members, neighbors, friends, those in their community. And then in uh, verses 64 through 66, we can be assured of God's presence and his power. God's presence and his power. Look at verse 64. And at once his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak in praise to God. So Zechariah's tongue was loosened. He could speak again after this baby was born. And notice the response of the people around them. Verse 65, fear came upon those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. We can be assured of God's presence and his power. And so in the midst of silence, perhaps in the midst of opposition, in the midst of difficult times that we live in, is God working out his purposes through this time. If we truly believe in the sovereignty of God, that he is all powerful, that all things are under his control, that he is working all things out for his glory and the good of his people, how can we be so upset and worried? And uh, God is showing us and telling us through this this account of the birth of John that God is working out in his power and his timing what he is doing. And he's doing that in your life and my life too. God knows us. He cares for us. And uh, so are we choosing? Are we tempted to be frantic about life right now? I know it's difficult. It's very adverse, especially for some families trying to educate children and others who perhaps have lost their employment. And so are we clinging to what used to be our comfort zones or are we really focused on who and what God is? So God's purposes cannot be frustrated. And then in verse 67, we see that the father Zacharias was filled with the spirit and he prophesied saying. Now a prophecy uh, in the Old Testament is a a forth telling of the revelation of God. In other words, telling forth what God has said to the prophet. And there is also a foretelling aspect. And what I illustrate uh, prophets with is that uh, we can look at the distant mountains And we see the peaks of the mountains, but we don't see the valley in between. And for Old Testament prophets, they could see the first advent of the Messiah and the second advent of the Messiah, but they didn't see the church age in between. And we live in that church age. And so we're looking back on that first prophecy and looking back at the coming of this Messiah, and so uh, God's purposes will not be frustrated. In verses 67 through 6 or 79, is this prophecy? It's a song, it's a psalm, it's a hymn, and it is a Christmas song, the, a great Christmas song. And so in this psalm, Uh, We see this prophetic hymn, there are four great truths we see in this hymn, and there's much more we can see here, but four that I want to emphasize here today as we begin our journey of Advent, as we journey our way towards this Christmas season to remember the first Advent. Our long-awaited Savior, there are four things that he will accomplish here. The first one is he will purchase us out of our bondage. Look at verse 68. Zacharias says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Okay, all through the, especially the last uh, in the Old Testament, the, those prophets, the major and minor prophets who prophesied some 500 to 700 years before this moment that this was said by Zacharias, uh, they were anticipating this redeemer, this savior that would come, this Messiah that would come. And Zechariah is blessing God. He's praising God. And telling us that he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Notice how he puts it in the the past tense here. He's already accomplished the redemption. Even though this baby Jesus is yet to be born, it's as good as done. It's as good as done, and Zechariah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, declares that in this song. So he has purchased us out of our bondage. To be redeemed means to be set free uh, by the pain of a price. It's like being redeemed out of the slave market of sin. It can, uh, like releasing a prisoner or a slave. And Jesus Christ came to earth to deliver the captives. We know that in Luke chapter 4. And he brings salvation to people in bondage to sin and death, which all people are in bondage to sin and death. Certainly we're unable to free ourselves. It is only through Jesus Christ that he would pay the price and gain our redemption. Ephesians uh, chapter one, verse seven, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21, and many other places. So Jesus Christ, the long-awaited savior, Zechariah is saying, will purchase us out of this bondage. Secondly, we will have, he will have complete victory in the battle of the ages. Look at verse 69. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. A horn is a symbolic of power and strength and it's like a, 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 a ram's horn or a bull's horn. Uh, it's, it symbolizes power and victory. We see that in 1 Kings and Psalm 89 and elsewhere. Uh, the picture here is like there is an invading army ready to take a nation captive, and the, but the help arrives and the enemy is defeated. Uh, the captives are set free. And in this picture, the enemy is defeated and cannot capture any more prisoners. And it means total victory for the people of God. And uh, the word salvation carries the meaning of health and soundness here. Uh, No matter what the condition of the captives, the Redeemer brings spiritual soundness. When you trust in Jesus Christ for everlasting life, you are delivered from Satan's power and moved into God's kingdom, redeemed and forgiven. Uh, So where did the Redeemer come from when he talks about uh, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us? He has spoken by, in verse 70, spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and those, the hand who hate us, to show mercy towards our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, verse uh, uh, 74, to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. And so the redeemer came from the house of David. He was prophesied to come through the house of David. In Luke one sixty nine, we see that he himself was a great conqueror. God had promised that the savior would be Jewish, come through the lineage of a Jew, Genesis 12. From the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49. From the family of David, 2 Samuel 7 born in David's city of Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Both Mary and Joseph belonged to David's lineage, to his family, to his line. The coming of the Redeemer was inherent in the covenant God made with his people, and he was promised by the prophets. <clears throat> Note that the results are sanctity and service in verses 74 through 75. He sets us free not to do our own will, but to do the will of the Father, to release us from bondage, to be part of him and his family, to do his will and enjoy the freedom we're given. So he purchases us out of bondage, completes the victory in the battle of the ages. And as, uh, <clears throat> as Zachariah prophesied here, it is as good as done in the tense of what he said. And in verses 76 and 77, to cancel our debt of sin. Look at verses 76 and 77. And you, child, he's speaking about John, his child, verse 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord and prepare his way to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Remember John the baptizer, John the immerser, went out into the wilderness and preached the good news that the kingdom was at hand, that the Messiah was here. And remission means to to dismiss a debt. All of us are in debt to God because we have broken his law and failed to live up to his standards. Furthermore, all of us are spiritually bankrupt, uh, unable to pay our debt. But Jesus came, paid the debt, imputed his righteousness to us in justification. We are declared righteous because of what Jesus has done because of his righteousness imputed to our account to our lives. And so he has canceled our debt. And verses 78 and 79, bring, bring, he brings the dawn of hope. And boy, are we desperate for hope in this day and age. Not only has Jesus Christ purchased us out of this bondage, he is gaining the complete victory in the battle of the ages. He canceled our debt. And fourthly, he brings the dawn of hope. Look at verse 78 because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadows of death. Sunrise, uh, some of your uh, versions will have dayspring, and that is another name for Jesus Christ. But the people were sitting in darkness and death. Imagine in Israel in those days, oppressed by the Roman Empire, 400 years of silence from God. Uh, The prophets, no prophecy, no communication from God during those 400 years. They were sitting in darkness and death and distress gripped them when Jesus came, but he brought light, life, and peace. It was the dawn of a new day, a new age because of the tender mercies of God. Isn't that amazing? And every time uh, this morning, (laughs) we didn't have much of a sunrise here. It was very cloudy. But uh, when the sun does rise and I see it come up again, it's just a very strong statement of God's faithfulness. And I think of the day spring, the sunrise in Jesus Christ. You know, the old priest had not said anything for nine months, but he certainly uh, compensated for his silence when he sang this song. Imagine being silent, unable to speak, to verbalize anything for nine months and then breaking out in this prophetic psalm and how joyful he must have been to be chosen by God, to be the one uh, that was the father of the one who prepared the way for the Messiah. And uh, John was the prophet of the highest uh, in introducing Israel to the son of the highest who was conceived in Mary's womb by the power of the highest in John one thirty-five. And instead of enjoying a comfortable life as a priest, as John could have, he lived in the wilderness, disciplined himself physically and spiritually, waiting for the day when God would send him to prepare Israel for the arrival of the Messiah. And we see that Uh, we'll see in later in Simeon's song that Simeon and his and Anna had been waiting for this day for years and years of their whole life. And it would come. You know, God calls us today to believe in his good news. Those who believe it experience joy and peace and they want to express their praise to him. And that's why we can praise him wherever we are. Whether it's uh, isolated in our own homes, out in, out in, in creation, uh, with our children, uh, with our parents, we can praise God. It is not enough to say it, it, that Jesus is a Savior or even the Savior. With Mary, we must say, My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. And so I pray that for you today, that Jesus Christ is your savior, that you have believed in him for everlasting life. Remember the apostle John wrote that, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. Over a 100 times in the New Testament, the simple, requirement for everlasting life is belief in Jesus Christ, being fully persuaded that he is who he said he is and what he came to do was to offer salvation to all people. And so that's our choice, that's our choice today. In verse 80, God's purposes, remember God's purposes will not be thwarted, God's purposes will be praised. And then finally God's purposes uh, prepares his person, his person, look at verse 80. And the child continued to grow, and this is speaking of John. The child continued to grow and become strong in spirit. He lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. God prepares us physically, spiritually, emotionally. You are created uniquely and for a perfect and purposeful reason. And uh, that's the important thing about finding out why and doing what God's will is. God prepares us a place for our development, just like he did John. And uh, each one of us is an object of God's love. And I thought about John, uh, John the Immerser. You know, John was about 30 years old in preparation. And then his ministry lasted about nine months. Imagine that. We often think that uh, just the length of something is the most important thing. But before John was martyred, he had a ministry of introducing the Messiah to Israel that lasted for about nine months. God has great purposes for our lives we'll not, that will not be frustrated. And he will receive praise and he will prepare his people for his plan. We don't know what the future looks like. It's very uncertain. It's even more uncertain now than it was a year ago at last Christmas. But yet he does have a purpose and a plan and we cling to that. And so we choose, we, we have a choice, each one of us. Do I believe that God has a purpose, that he is omniscient, omnipresent? omnipotent. In other words, he is all-powerful, all-knowing. He's all-loving. He is carrying out his perfect plan and preparation for each one of our lives. Uh, Are you in that role right now in the midst of difficulty? These words are really for you of Zechariah's prayer. At the beginning of this Christmas uh, season, we need to ask ourselves some critical questions. Uh, Do we really believe what happened when we read this account? We are so familiar with the Uh, account of nativity in Luke 1 and 2, that we can become dull to it. Our senses can say, oh yeah, I've heard that before for many years. And yet, do we really believe it? Do we rejoice in the belief of the first advent of Jesus Christ and to recognize that he has promised to come again in the second advent? And are we ready for that? Do you believe that he came with you in mind? You know, that idea that God knows everybody. He knows everything. He knows the number of hairs on our head And he came with you in mind. And then thirdly, have you ever ever entered into the things that Zechariah talked about? In other words, have you contemplated and thought about the fact that God's purposes cannot be frustrated and he is perfect, holy, righteous and just? He will not... Uh, Allow anything to thwart his plan. God's purposes should be praised. You know, even in the midst of adversity and difficulty, are you praising God? Thirdly, uh, God's purposes is to prepare a people. We don't know how He is preparing you, preparing me, preparing. Grace Point Church for whatever comes next, but he is preparing us and we need to anticipate that. Even though it's difficult not to meet in person, we need to anticipate and ask the question, uh, God's purposes are being worked out. What is his purposes for me personally, for you personally? These are the key. The words of Zechariah are just words until they become true to you and as has that happened in your life great challenges as we move towards as the calendar moves us towards the christmas holiday and the remembrance of the first advent so as you hear christmas songs this holiday season but perhaps uh, on your uh, uh, on your uh, music music devices technology whether radios or internet that uh, you would actually remember the real songs of Christmas, the ones that are recorded in Luke chapters 1 and 2. And we will continue on that uh, in <clears throat> in uh, the few next few weeks. I want to send you out with a benediction today. It comes out of 1 Peter. We often don't think of this as a sending out verse or verses, but in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And I just want to remind you that Peter was writing to believers who were under great adversity and difficulty. And he writes to encourage them and to remind them of God's goodness, greatness, and graciousness. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Amen and amen. Go in God's grace. I hope your week is a blessed week this week, and may you be a blessing to others in your life. Amen and amen. Go in His grace.